Good afternoon and welcome to Women in Manufacturing. This is Lydia DiLiello and I'll be your host today. I'm the CEO and founder of Capital Pricing Consultants and today it is my sincere pleasure to welcome Ivana Bertuzzelli. Did I say it right, Ivana? You did great. To our program, Ivana is the Vice President of Portfolio Analytics for an uh, organization called Intech Investment Management and it's an institutional money management company. Ivana, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's my pleasure, and I am sure my viewers are going to be very interested, as I am, in learning more about institutional investment management. This is an area that we rarely get a glimpse into, and so tell us a little bit about who you are and then um, how performance is so important to this area of expertise. Thank you. Absolutely. So my name is Ivana Bertazzelli, and I have been with Intech for uh, over 30 years, which is definitely in and of itself a story um, that uh, we'll have to put to show on another broadcast. But uh, meanwhile, at um, Intech, over these years, we've always been focused on institutional money management. The difference in layman's term is really the concept between uh, dealing with institutional clients, specifically like pension funds, uh, foundations, public funds, versus a retail um, organization, uh, similar to like if you would tap into like a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a or an Edward Jones that deal with more individuals like you and I. So okay. the concept is really the same. We're managing people's money. And the question is, are we managing in bulk or are we managing on individuals? So that really is the essence of the business. What's unique about Intech is that unlike most money managers, we are 100% mathematical in nature. So it's hard mm. to put us in a particular category because we're nothing but particular when it comes to um, uh, understanding um, the concept of, of the industry. So the industry we're talking about is the financial world. And in finance, we have a very, uh, very fickle model because uh, sadly it's based on emotions, right? That we invest, we as individuals invest on, uh, on the concept we're gonna make money and, and therefore we're going to buy low, sell high. Uh, famous and uh, most important words to invest by. But unfortunately, oftentimes, it is a gamble. There's no, there's no guarantee, and there's definitely no reassurance. So, when you touch on the subject of performance, I'd like to invite your uh, audience to sit back and enjoy the show, and hope to give you the performance of your life. Since when you define performance, it's really talking about a show. It's talking about uh, expecting certain. Uh, activities to happen. And it's based on a promise that something is going to happen, right? But there's no guarantee. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, the one distinction that I like to make sure and make everyone aware and reminding them that when you are investing, you're investing with the hope that you're going to get something back from it. And um, just as a quick little uh, sidebar here, everything I say is really just based on my experiences and nothing about you know, insect per se, but the reality is uh, in my world, everything revolves around performance. Uh, it is the outcome. It's the end result mm -hmm. and performance, unlike an interest rate, most common people think of interest rates. You have interest rates on your mortgage, you have interest rates on credit cards, 
interest rates offered by the banks. And in our world here domestically, it's, this is not a true statement uh, internationally, but in, in the US, uh, interest rates are always commonly associated with a positive number, right? You're gonna That's true. give an X Absolutely. a number. Performance is not always positive. Oh no, performance can always also no, (laughs) indeed, and performance can be negative. So at Intech, if we were to just talk about an example, when you're talking to an investor, um, you have to make certain that they understand obviously the risks involved. But as as a as a responsible manager, the the idea is you're buying a product. Now I know very little about manufacturing, but I understand that there's a need for products and products are either uh, something that you can you know, grab hold of, it's a solid, it's a piece of uh, equipment, um, but it, a product can also be an idea. It could be uh, a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reality is that that's what we pitch. We were, we're pitching a product that is based on certain expectations and okay. the expectations to succeed that even if the market is negative, we in fact can be doing extremely well if we outperform what is expected, not necessarily giving a positive return. So there is something that you uh, should remember when you're deciding to buy a stock, when you're deciding to buy a mutual fund, that uh, you have to really understand what it is you're buying because you're not buying a return that is going to oftentimes give you a positive result. You want that, you're expecting that, you hope for that, but that may not necessarily happen. So you need to understand what it is you're investing in. So that's very critical in any investment, no matter the size of your purchase uh, or the long-term objective of your decision. But those are are great words of wisdom, Ivana, because I think the point that you made about, I think almost all of us expect if we say results or return, that it's automatically positive, of course, except in years like this past 2022, where so much in the market was negative and what really resonated with me, and I hope our viewers picked up on this, is when you said, if you're outperforming, I'm paraphrasing your words, but basically, if you outperform the market, if the market went down by 10 points and, and your portfolio went down by four, you've still done tremendously better. The fact that it's a negative result, we're all, very, of course, all of us collectively are disappointed, but you still did that much better because you lost less. And so contextually, we, we don't think about it that way. We just say, oh my gosh, I lost how much in my portfolio instead of, well, I could have lost even more. So, so that's a, excellent. It, it's a great way that you de- described performance. So, so tell us how does poor performance have any bearing then on, I know, as we spoke a bit off camera, um, you have brought up an, uh, an item about global investment performance standards. Tell us how those marry into this whole idea of performance. So it it started back in actually 1993 with a a set of standards that was called AMER, AMER PPS, the um, Performance Presentation uh, Standards. And that was designed by North America, um, consisting of the US and Canada. And they came about because of the banking industry. And uh, it actually was a set of women, uh, the, the beard-laded women back in the day, some um, that uh, unfortunately didn't calculate, calculated performance that always seemed to be in their advantage. 
Well, numbers are a wonderful thing. So before I continue on my uh, spiel on, on global uh, performance standards, which I love to talk and I sing the praises of those standards, I, I wanted to just uh, go back to what I just mentioned, which is um, performance could be a lot of different things and mean different things. And numbers are wonderful. And somehow or another, if you don't calculate it just right, you magically can make one plus one equal three and you didn't even realize you did that. So um, speaking of numbers, you know, when we talk about performance and outperforming, uh, there is an element of effort that needs to be taken into consideration. So I'm gonna use these very extraordinary large numbers because I think it kind of makes math easy. You have a, a portfolio that you started out with $100 and the portfolio underperforms by 50%, mm -hmm. automatically you just lost $50. Mm -hmm. So you underperformed 50%. Well, if in the next period you decide to it magically you recuperate and you get your 50% back, well, you're now back at 100. You're only at $75 at that mm -hmm. point. And, and so that's impressive. Well, like, well, I lost 50, I make 50, I should be back, but you're not. So the amount of effort required in order to recuperate and get you back to your starting basis really is twice that. You need 100% return on your money mm -hmm. in order to get back to where you started from. So I use that as an example because it was those play with numbers that created some issues in the early days. So in 1993, Amer came out, the American um, measurement, uh, risk measurements uh, decided to put together these standards, which gave very specific guidelines. And uh, just to fast forward now, 2005, uh, what was happening? Well, globalization was happening. You know, mm -hmm. no longer were investors, whether it be retail or in the, or uh, institutional clients, thinking of investing solely within their own community or their own uh, state or in their own country. Mm -hmm. People were going outside, and that was becoming a little more normal. What was happening? You know, cell phones became more popular. Uh, there was, you know, uh, news media was was being broadcasted all throughout. So you, we were being affected. And again, going back to our earlier how we started the conversation, the market is very, very much emotionally based. So simple news can actually have tremendous outcomes. So when news was happening in in overseas you know, it actually affected our markets and vice versa. And that's why politics becomes such an issue. You know, our politics affects other people's decisions across the world. And so the CFA Institute decided to take the AMER standards and make them global. And why is that? Well, the one thing in most countries, I can't say all, but most countries have in common is how we write numbers. Right. Our language is different, but the numbers are pretty clear uh, and understandable. Mm -hmm. So the global global investment performance standards came out with the standards that took the aimer and made it more global. So like a common you know dollar weighted return became money weighted return, right? Because not everybody uses the dollar, dollar. currency. Okay. So these little changes, these little nuances became evident in our day to day language. And you know, lo and behold, a few years later, then becomes part of our normal process. So why are the standards um, required? 
they're 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 voluntary uh you, there's no uh, gibbs uh, police out there that tells the money manager you have to do this no they're they're 100 voluntary however they are supported by the sec so the securities exchange commission um appreciates the fact that these standards are there. It does make their their staff members a little easier uh, to know that if somebody's claiming that they're complying with GIP standards, that there's some sort of bed of knowledge that is going in, in front of the investor. And ultimately, the goal about the standards is to make everybody play nice. Everybody's on the same playing field. It's fair representation of the data that's being presented. So that it doesn't lead. Numbers can be very confusing. Oh. But if, if you're comparing one manager to another manager or one investment to another product, well, you need to know, are we comparing apples to apples or mm -hmm. are we in a little bit of a fruit bowl? That said, I'm a fond believer of, you know, diversification is the success to every portfolio, no matter what the size of the portfolio is. But it is wise when making a decision that you are comparing to the same product or else it, it does put you in a bit of a disadvantage. And so the GIP standards has developed these uh, nomenclatures, these, these rules that allows everybody to just understand that no matter where you are, what, what phase of life, and it's become so popular in 2010, they rewrote the standards. So you would think, well, if you've got such great standards, why are you rewriting them? Well, it's because nothing stays static. No. We have to continue to improve. We, we have to understand that things change. Uh, technology changes, the infrastructure um, gets in, uh, enhanced. Mm -hmm. And in order to be relevant, then the standards had to also adopt some new terminology, some new guidelines, and not to mention uh, new instructions of real estate became really, really important. And now you have portfolios, you know, back then people just bought a house and, you know, <laughs> you have those select few that had, you know, maybe one or two houses and perhaps an investment. But now there's there's organizations that own multi-plexes um, that have to evaluate how to calculate their performances. Is it making them money or not making the money? So there's guidelines. You may have heard the term private equities or hedge funds. Mm -hmm. um, those are all investments that now anybody can buy. And the more people that find themselves buying products that aren't known, you know, long, years ago, it, it was, you know, you were invested 60% cash, um, excuse me, 60% stocks and 40% bonds. That was typical, mm -hmm. but that's not kind standard, of the gold standard anymore. The gold standard, but that's not that's not what people are doing anymore. They're they're so diversified in so many different vehicles that are being offered. Uh, cryptocurrency is an example. Bitcoins. I mean, those are things that, in my opinion, if you don't, if I don't understand enough of it, so I would I step away from it. But those that have the wisdom of understanding and comprehending it, they also need to know what they're getting into. So it goes back to just. Under, uh, the fair representation and knowing what the investor is looking for and looking at, and then being able to make an educated decision at the end of the day. So in 2020, just when you thought that the standards <laughs> were at their perfect peak, uh, they rewrote them again. And uh, 
And, and that one was a play on words, actually. Um, I'm very uh, involved with the CFA Institute, and they picked 2020 specifically because of the terminology with the vision. You know, you have 2020 vision, you have the perfect insight, uh, which none of us do. I wish we all had our globe. Uh, if that we could just, our crystal ball that we could look into. But um, when 2020 was about to approach, uh, the Institute decided to tweak it even again. And this time it wasn't just a, for the money managers anymore. So who else became part of the game? Well, asset owners became part of the game. So many of our pension funds, state plans, for example, I live in the state of Florida and Florida has the state board, which manages their own pension fund. They outsource some to uh, money okay. managers, but then some they manage from within. So then the question had to be asked, well, if you're expecting your managers to meet and abide by these standards, then mm -hmm. so should they. And they were one of the first to sign, as was the uh, CalPERS, the California um, Pension Retirement System. Um, so Ohio State, actually, I, I have a friend who lives in Ohio. Ohio State was another big supporter of the GIC standards. Um, and so with that, it, it became a little bit more uh, rounded where it wasn't just about the money managers anymore abiding by standards, it's now uh, asset owners are abiding by standards. And then there's the verifiers. So who are verifiers? Well, the verifiers are like most commonly, you probably associate them with auditors. Uh, and they're okay. auditors, they're auditor-like, but their <laughs> main goal is to make sure that they can reconstruct a return that's being published with all the proper documentation. And then they can sign off on the document saying that they can validate the system. They validate the, the, the uh, organization, the firm is in fact uh, justified in reporting those numbers. So the standards became so what I would refer to as a very well-rounded document a simple read, it's not that big, there's not that many rules. So if we could just follow those select few guidelines, then uh, it does make it a lot easier with the hope that you don't have, you know, unfortunately we've all heard about the Ponzi schemes and the Bernie Madoff and and uh, those, those are, you know, astronomical situations, but they happen. And that's where trust becomes an issue in our industry. And if there's anything that I think we need to really focus in on as a society is that we need to learn how to trust, but we can't when we've been hurt so many times by the select few. And um, these guidelines really do add value and credence to you know, having the integrity and the transparency of those numbers and understanding how they came to calculate. So I certainly, you know, end this segment by saying, I encourage everyone to know, you know, if numbers are being reported to you, uh, review those numbers. There's the data is there. Sometimes it's in fine print, which is hard to see. Uh, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, ask questions. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do believe that that there is no silly question uh, that needs to be uh, ignored, um, and and as as an individual, we should always ask questions on every subject matter when we don't understand. But I think that that's great investment advice, Ivana. Whether from an institutional perspective or for an individual, are we asking the right questions? That that whole idea that you brought up about trust, but verify. What's in the fruit bowl that, that I'm buying, right? And did my fruit change year over year? And, and did the proportion of fruit change? And 
is knowing that there are guidelines that are standardizing all of the different facets and players in that space, I think is critically important. But it's something that I think often, perhaps as women, we don't do enough of um, to, to, to question more intensely and at more specific levels. Uh, so I think this segment is really helpful and important as a way for us to, to look at our own portfolios and say, am I doing that for myself? Um, so very, very helpful information. So kind of as, as we are closing out here, um, tell me a little bit about um, your perspective on volunteering and networking, since we haven't touched those two subjects yet. Certainly. Well, thank you. Um, well, first of all, as I mentioned, the CFA Institute, which is the Chartered Financial um, in, um, Association, um, is a wonderful way to start your volunteering. And and uh, you, I don't have my CFA. I have a CIPM, uh, which is the Cert Certificate of Investment Performance Measurements. And I volunteered for the USIPC, the United States Investment Performance Committee. And um, that's where I, I, I gained, you know, even 30 years in the industry and there's still so much to learn. And, and, and as women, well, you mentioned it best just a few minutes ago, we do have our own, you know, we are responsible for, for our destiny. I do believe that mm. we can control so much. And even in the financial industry as a minority, uh, which is sad to say that, you know, women are still a minority in this industry. But um, nonetheless, I think there's progress being made. I've worked with some amazing individuals, brilliant, brilliant women. And the CFA Institute as a volunteer is, as a, is a perfect example. Now, you're, I'm not sure if your audience is familiar, but I certainly encourage if anyone's at all even considering dabbling into the financial world that is definitely a great segment to uh to master and then networking you know there's programs out there and um any opportunity regardless of the subject matter i think is an opportunity to network and whether it's to gain insight into a bit of information that we haven't exposed ourselves with so it makes us more interesting or it's to gain insight into really doing the next step of what the next phase of our lives are, uh, whether we have families or whether we have uh, desires of traveling. Uh, it's just network. There's something out there for everyone. And I strongly believe that. And unless you put yourself out there, it's not going to come knocking on your door. Well, those are marvelous words to close with, Ivana. Thank you so much for being my guest today on Women in Manufacturing. You've given us a whole new perspective into um, investing both at a personal level and then at, at a um, an organizational level as well. So wonderful perspectives that you shared with us. Thank you. So You're for so welcome. So for our viewers, then, as you know, we have five other podcasts available to you from Jacket Media Company, including obviously Women in Manufacturing, Hazard Girls, which highlights the unusual roles of women within industry, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. So don't hesitate to look at the, our website for all of our other assorted different podcasts. And once again, Ivana Bertazzelli, thank you so much for your time today. And we look forward to seeing you on future podcasts. My pleasure. Thank you again, everyone. And happy new year. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.